0: Count Chocula and Frankenberry meet the fruity yummy mummy. Hey, have a bite. <laughs> it's new fruity yummy mummy cereal. Big yummy marshmallows. So monstrously big there. Monster, monster Mellows
1: with yummy mummy, Monster Mellows. Fruity yummy mummy Make makes your tummy, tummy go yummy. yummy. <laughs>
0: monster Mellows in Frankenberry, Count Chocula and now new fruity yummy mummy cereal. Part of this complete breakfast.
1: Makes your tummy go yummy. <laughs>
0: of my creatures of the night
1: <laughs> pull the string pull the <laughs> string yes welcome back to pump action podcast we are the hosts tie fighter
0: and t-bone
1: proof that monsters do exist <laughs> because you're looking fucking huge i think you've just you're on the carnivore diet just <laughs> eating raw meats and livers and kidneys and all the shit. The
0: werewolf diet. The
1: werewolf diet, yeah, yeah. Hey, so anyway, we're back. Uh, very special edition I'm Halloween. Creatures of the night. Yes, goyles and ghouls out there. We are going to be talking about 1999's The Mummy. And uh, yeah, what a fun, nostalgic trip this was. I haven't seen this movie in probably, what, oh my gosh. It's almost 30 years old, which is crazy to think. Um, well, 25 years, I guess. 25 years old. Yeah. I don't think I've seen this movie 20-something years, probably. Um, I, I do enjoy the Mummy franchise, um, but my favorite one is the Mummy Returns, just because of my throbbing eye boners I get with yeah. Dwayne Rock Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so the Mummy Returns is my go-to movies in the Mummy, mummy franchise. Um, but this one was a lot of fun. So... Uh, when did you first come across The Mummy? Like, did you ever see this in theaters? Because I know I did.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater when it first came out. And uh, a few times on probably VHS after that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was, I've always been a huge um, mark for anything uh, Universal Monsters related. Um, which, obviously, after watching this film for this show... I actually went back and watched the original 1932 um, Boris Karloff Mummy as well, just to see if I could draw any kind of comparisons between the two. And shockingly enough, there is, um, because I haven't seen that. Those are the movies I usually watch around Halloween time. I always try to hit, at least the main ones, you know, um, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, Creature, and then The Mummy. Um, If I'm bored, I'll watch Invisible Man, but... I've got to be pretty bored to watch that one. <laughs> but anyway, so there's a lot to unpack with, with this film. But, yeah. Um, this was, a, like I said, a definite nostalgic trip. Um, had a blast. I forgot how much fun this movie is. Um, so, yeah, do you want to kind of tell us about what you got uh, talking about The Mummy?
0: Yeah, The Mummy is a 1999 American action adventure film written and directed by Steven Summers. It is a remake of the 1932 film of the same name and it stars Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, John Hannah, and Arnold Vosloo in the title role as the reanimated mummy. The film follows adventurer Rick O'Connell as he travels to Hamunaptra, the City of the Dead, with a librarian and her older brother where they accidentally awaken Imhotep, a cursed high priest with supernatural powers. So awesome. So uh initial development on The Mummy the 1999 version goes all the way back to the late 1980s where producers James Jackson and Sean Daniel wanted to do a remake of the 1932 Mummy for modern audiences Universal who owned the rights to the original gave the green light on the condition that they kept the budget to 10 million dollars or around 27 million today mm-hmm. The studio wanted to keep the price low to try and kick off a low-budget horror franchise, and they basically wanted to do The Terminator, but with a mummy, uh, i.e. a villain who is completely unstoppable.
1: You know, it's kind of really quick to catch you off there. There is that line in here where he does kind of says, like, he's not going to stop. He's only, you know, like, he, you can't kill him. <laughs> he's not going to stop until he gets your soul or, like, whatever it is. So I was like, oh, that's shades of The Terminator. It's funny because that was one of the notes that I actually had, so it's kind of funny you said
0: that. Um, So George A. Romero actually wrote a treatment in 1987 and was even attached to direct. Screenwriter Abby Bernstein wrote a script about a mummy accidentally brought to life who wanted to use ancient technology to destroy all life on Earth. Bernstein's mummy was more like, in her words, as she later recollected, the T-Rex in Jurassic Park, a creature who just wanted to destroy... George A. Romero eventually left the project, and Bernstein's script was tossed. The producers then got Clive Barker to come on board for a bit. Barker wrote a treatment in 1990, and screenwriter Mick Garris wrote a script in 1991. This version of the movie was dark and violent, with the plot revolving around a museum that recreates an entire Egyptian tomb in the middle of Beverly Hills. Barker's movie was, quote, dark, sexual, and filled with mysticism, unquote.
1: That's the kind of mummy movie I want to see. Yeah,
0: according to the producers. But unfortunately, Universal thought it was too weird, and Barker didn't treat the mummy as the main character of the film, but rather as a side plot. So, so far, we've got two versions that sound really awesome, George yeah. A. Romero and Clive Barker version.
1: I had no idea that they had brought in Romero, but who better to to you know write a, a treatment or a script than, than the maestro... Of the undead, uh, George A. Romero.
0: Alan Ormsby was then brought on to pitch a script with Joe Dante attached to direct. What? Yeah. Holy shit.
1: (gasps) Huge heavy hitters.
0: This version of the film went back to the more simplified concept of The Mummy as an unstoppable killing machine a la The Terminator. Get this. Joe Dante pitched a higher budget, wanting Daniel Day-Lewis to play The Mummy. Dude,
1: that would have been so awesome. Yeah.
0: A draft of the script was rewritten by John Sayles, but Universal was uneasy about the bigger budget so this version was ultimately scrapped as well. A few elements, such as the flesh-eating scarab beetles which made it into the ultimate version of the film, were introduced in this version. In 1994, George Romero came back to the project and pitched an idea that was more akin to his earlier zombie-style films. He wrote a draft in October 94 with Ormsby and Sales that revolved around a female archeologist discovering the tomb of Egyptian General Imhotep. However, the producers in Universal thought Romero's script was too dark and violent, but he was unable to continue work on it because of prior business obligations with MGM. So we've had uh, Romero, Barker, Joe Dante, then the Romero again. He couldn't make it work.
1: That is unbelievable. Yeah. Those three guys, just uh, together. Yeah.
0: Mick Garris, who was previously working with Clive Barker, was brought back again to do an entirely new script, which was a period piece rife with Egyptian art-inspired art deco. The period setting was considered too expensive for Universal tastes. Universal's taste, so it was retooled to the modern era. Around this time, Universal was purchased by Seagram, And it was decided to produce The Mummy through an independent company with yet another new script. Wes Craven was offered a stab, but he turned it down. Oh my god! In 1996, Ken Jari was hired to write a screenplay, and the producers finally decided the movie needed a bigger budget and should in fact be a period piece. So for ten years, they've been...
1: Kicking it around?
0: Uh saying no on a big budget period piece with all these huge directors and writers and finally they're like, well, okay.
1: Let's just do a big budget CGI fest with a huge director. So, (laughs) big budget.
0: Steven Summers contacted the producers in 1997 and pitched his idea for an Indiana Jones-like adventure that was not a remake of the original but more of a romantic adventure with horror elements and a fast, mean, and scary mummy. Universal was desperate for a hit film around this time. I think I didn't write this down, but I think they had uh, just had a Babe, Pig in the City, which I think was a flop at this time. So, and they had a few other flops. Yeah. So they needed a hit. So they were desperate for a hit film, and Summers pitched his heavily researched 1920s set, 18-page treatment, and they gave him the green light. He then spent the next year working on the screenplay.
1: Yeah, the very first half of this movie, that's all I could think about this. This is straight up Indiana Jones. I think I even texted you It's like, yeah. how is this not an Indiana Jones movie? <laughs> because it has all of those elements in it, even like the, the 1930, well, I think this is set in 32 or 33, I think. Um, and I was always wondered like, why is um, these mummy films like always kind of like um, set in that time period? But then I completely forgot that it was in 1922 where America was like Egypt crazy because right. of the discovery of Tutankhamen, yeah. uh, King Tut. And so everybody was like mummy crazy um, at that time, which only makes sense of why you would set it during that time. And that's but, when the original was. And that's when the original was, yeah. And that totally. was contemporary, contemporaneously set or whatever. Yeah, for the time period, yeah. for sure.
0: So among the actors originally approached for the role of Rick O'Connell include Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck, but they all either turned it down or couldn't do it due to scheduling issues.
1: (coughs) Got a little dust. A little little little, sandstorm kicked up.
0: (laughs) Tootin' Common's (laughs) curse.
1: I also heard that Leo, that Leo DiCaprio was heavily interested in this project, but unfortunately was tied up with The Beach at that time. And he actually went to the producers of The Beach and said like, can I please do The Mummy? And they were like, no. And then, um, anyway, so I guess they signed Brendan, correct? Is this one weird? Yes. And then um, The Beach got postponed anyway, so he literally could have done it, but I'm glad that Brendan Fraser because, got this role because this is the pinnacle of his, his <laughs> thespian career. He's so awesome in this movie. I loved him in this movie. so awesome.
0: So uh, Brendan Fraser was hot off his role in George of the Jungle, yeah, so he was. <laughs> he was offered the role. Because Fraser wasn't as big a star at the time, he was also cheaper than some of the other actors originally courted. Rachel Weiss auditioned multiple times before landing the role of Evelyn Carnahan. John Hanna was cast as Jonathan, despite the fact he didn't consider himself a comedic actor.
1: He's awesome in this, too. Yeah.
0: Producer James Jacks had previously worked with Arnold Vosloo on another project, and Vosloo really liked the script, so he wanted to play the mummy Imhotep. Even though the movie has some comedic elements, Vosloo insisted he play the role totally straight and was offered the role after just one audition. Cutting sugar and alcohol out of his diet, he lost 10 to 15 pounds, so he would look better in some of the skimpy costumes the role required.
1: Oh, he looks fantastic.
0: Yeah. Principal photography began on May 4, 1998 in Marrakesh, Morocco. Filming in Egypt was impossible due to the politics at the time, but Marrakesh happened to be less modern-looking, so it was easy to pass for the 1920s. The crew also shipped in camels and period cars, and locals were used as extras. After Marrakesh, filming took place in the Sahara Desert for scenes taking place in Hamunaptra, the City of the Dead, where multiple exterior sets were constructed. Replica sets were also constructed back in England for Hominoptera's interior scenes. Filming in the middle of the desert was dangerous, Mm. and the cast and crew had to consume a special beverage every two hours to keep from dehydrating. Sandstorms occasionally put a pause on filming, and a number of crew members had to be airlifted for medical care after being stung or bitten by the local wildlife. Brendan Fraser himself supposedly almost died during the scene where his character is hanged the royal moroccan army provided support to the production and kidnapping insurance was purchased for the cast members
1: that's insane (laughs) (laughs) kidnapping insurance
0: principal photography concluded on august 29th 1998 after the production moved back to england In england was also where the giza port scene was filmed The special effects budget alone was $15 million, or over $28 million today, which, if you remember, was more than the original total budget that Universal wanted to spend on this. (laughs) Yeah. Industrial Light and Magic, Cinecite, and Pacific Tidal Mirage all worked on hundreds of shots requiring optical and digital effects. The mummy effects were provided by ILM, who started on designs months before filming began. The initial mummy effects were entirely computer-generated, with Vosloo performing the motion capture, while the later stages were a mix of CGI, live action, and prosthetics. Although CGI was used extensively for the film, a number of practical effects were also used, such as physical models, matte paintings, animatronics, and live rats and insects. The music for The Mummy was composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith, and the soundtrack was released on May 4th, 1999. When the movie was finished it was shown to test audiences who did not like the title of the film. They thought it made the movie sound like a cheap old horror film. The marketing department refused to change the name, basically saying that they were trying to reclaim the name The Mummy and update the concept for contemporary audiences. In light of a lack of excitement for the film, the studio took out a 1.6 million dollar Super Bowl ad and this seemed to generate a noble, notable increase in interest the release of the phantom or the release of the mummy was originally scheduled for may 21st 1999 but due to the upcoming release of star wars episode 1 the phantom menace the release date was moved up to may 7th mhm good move yeah going yeah. up against that the Mummy was the number one film its opening weekend, grossing $43 million, or almost $80 million, in 2023. At the time, it was the highest non-holiday May opening in history, and the ninth biggest opening in history. As soon as The Phantom Menace was released, The Mummy dropped to second place, but it ended up grossing $155 million domestically and $261 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $416 million, or over $760 million today. It was the sixth highest-grossing film in the world in 1999, behind, and this is what we're talking about, 1999 mm-hmm. being a stacked year for movies. Yes. Sixth place behind Phantom Menace, The Sixth Sense, Toy Story 2, The Matrix, and Disney's Tarzan. Jeez.
1: Yeah, there's so many (laughs) movies that came out in 99. It is absolutely ridiculous.
0: Despite that, it did receive mixed reviews from critics. It currently holds a rating of 60% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 48 out of 100 on Metacritic. CinemaScore grades it a B on an A to F scale. Roger Ebert gave the film a positive review, as did Entertainment Weekly and the New York Times. Other reviews said the film felt like a forced Indiana Jones ripoff. The special effects and acting were generally praised, although some criticized some of the stereotypical Arab characters. It received an Academy Award nomination for Best Sound.
1: Mm, Did not know
0: that. Did not win, though. It received numerous other nominations from major awards, such as the British Academy Film Awards, the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, MTV Film and TV Awards, and the Saturn Awards. Jerry Goldsmith won for Best Soundtrack from the BMI Film and TV Awards, and the Saturn Awards gave it Best Special Effects. Besting
1: The Phantom Menace.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised it didn't at least get nominated for an Oscar for Special Effects. Yeah, me too. I can't imagine what the other, maybe Six Sense? Matrix probably. Matrix, yeah, that's or, gotta
1: be the win, because that was one of the game-changer cgi films
0: of the time uh let's see here the mummy was released on vhs and dvd in september of 1999 it was a huge success in the home market selling seven million vhs tapes making it the year's best-selling live-action vhs and it sold one million dvds making it the second best-selling dvd of the year after the matrix these numbers help Universal gross over one billion dollars in home video sales in 1999. I tried to do some quick math a little while ago, and um, you know, new new VHSs around this time sold for like around twenty bucks, maybe. Yeah. And DVDs too, twenty to thirty bucks. So, I mean, that's a couple hundred million dollars just for this one movie. Yeah. For Universal. Yeah. Out of their billion-dollar gross, so huge yeah. in home market sales. A two-disc DVD was released on April 24th, 2001, and the Blu-ray came out in 2008. A 4K Ultra HD was released in 2017. Which version did you just watch? I have the 4K version. <laughs> Does Do the special effects... You look- know, that's one of my notes
1: <laughs> <laughs> that I have, if you want to get into it. Um, I, I will say that um, this is definitely, this film is a, is a product of its time. It's a very <laughs> 90s special effects stream. It is film. very, you know, um, yeah, heavily CGI, um, uh, you know, dependent film. But um, other than, like, the really cheesy opening scene of, like, um, Ancient Egypt, it looks like a complete, like, a video game, Like just the way they have the scenes set up and I'm glad they opened the movie that way, but everything after that gets better and still kind of holds up. Um, the only one that I feel that was like very cheesy was, um, of course the, uh, the scarab beetles. Uh, if, if you hated the red ant scene in Indiana Jones, the kingdom of the crystal skull, <laughs> then you, you would really hate the grandfather of that, cgi um abortion uh the scarab beetles um they're ridiculous um there is a funny scene though like where um one of the scarab beetles like and i put my note put it in my notes too like he's like peeling off these scarabs off the wall that the warden is and he breaks one and there's like a live beetle inside of it but he doesn't know that it's alive so he drops to the ground and then it enters his boot like through his boot and then it like Goes into his skin and he's yeah. like trying to rip his shirt off, and it looks like Jerry Mouse, you <laughs> know, like under the rug, or under the carpet, yeah. like that little ball, like going yeah. up. And then it, like, you know, goes into his brain, like Khan style, and <laughs> like drives him crazy, and he r- runs his head into the wall. So there are some little scenes like that that are like, ooh, like cringe inducing yeah. uh, because it looks so cartoony. But everything else, like, I thought stood up pretty good. The mummy effects were pretty awesome. Um, the deadites sort of at the end which is kind of one of my notes was like um you know brendan fraser reminds me of sort of like an Errol flynn indiana jones you know bruce campbell ash type hero Mm -hmm. um and i don't know like when he's fighting like all of the undead at the end um which is a fantastic the the finale of this film is awesome the third act is great but it's kind of very jason of the and the argonauts um with the skeletons um, the old Ray Harryhausen film like I just there's like a lot of really cool scenes in it. those still hold up to me I, I feel the Emma Hotep um, sand where he like turns into sand is pretty yeah. cool where he opens his mouth and like all that stuff I mean it's gonna look cartoony just because of the, it's the nature of the beast but it doesn't look anything you know hok- hokier than it does today <laughs> you know I mean <laughs> yeah. you look at any Marvel movie to me it's just like a cartoon too yeah. you know I don't know it's just something your brain reali- recognizes that it's not real and it, you know, I don't know, it takes me out of the film. But um, for the most part, I thought it held up. I can overlook it because it was, like I said, it's a product of its time. Right. It's just like Jurassic Park. It's one of the greatest movies ever. And you look at the effects today and you're just like, really? Like, we were <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I remember just being completely mind blown sitting right. and watching Jurassic Park. And now you look at it today and you're just like, God, it looks awful. You know what I mean? But at the time, we'd never seen anything like that. And to me, like, this is sort of like the end or the beginning of the end of like, you know, heavy special effects, you know, dependent films like where they really depended on that. It's kind of the beginning of that, The Matrix and this film too, I think, so.
0: So, the success of The Mummy led to a sequel in 2001 titled The Mummy Returns and a second sequel in 2008, The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. An animated TV show called The Mummy ran for two seasons, and a prequel spin off film titled The Scorpion King was released in 2002. The Scorpion King itself led to a five film franchise over the next 16 years, with an untitled reboot currently in the works as of 2023. Please tell me The Rock is attached. I don't know. Yeah. A number of video games have been produced based on both the films and animated series, and three Universal Studios theme parks around the world have a mummy-themed roller coaster. That's awesome. Between 2001 and 2008, a number of comic books based on the franchise were released as well, expanding on the lore and mythology. I think they do some mummy stuff around Halloween, too, at Universal. At Universal. As many as three more Mummy films were in talks after the 2008 installment, but the mainline Mummy franchise was eventually canceled in favor of a reboot in 2017 starring Tom Cruise.
1: Yeah, I never saw that. Did you see that? I did. The
0: The 2017 Mummy was a box office failure, so any future films of in that era of the franchise were canceled, and as of 2023, there don't seem to be any hard plans for future Mummy movies. Um, yeah, I saw it a couple years ago and I heard it was awful Uh and I watched it thinking it was going to be awful, but it was okay. Really? I mean, I I never saw it. Like I I thought it was entertaining. Yeah. If it's got a mummy in it, like it's gotta be okay.
1: Right. Like I can't think of a mummy film that I just absolutely hated. You know, I don't know. That's just me though.
0: Yeah. I didn't hate it. I thought it was okay. I need to
1: see it. I need to see it.
0: Uh, So yeah, there's the mummy Brendan Fraser um, probably the peak of his career.
1: Well, and uh, at whale. least, the, but, um, well,
0: <laughs> the peak of his, uh, pre comeback <laughs> career or whatever. His first career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Before the Renaissance began yeah. <laughs> once again, kicked up.
0: Yeah. So he did, he did a couple of the mummy movies. Mm-hmm. He was in, uh, all of them. Yeah. Um, up through Tomb of
1: the Dragon Emperor. I don't even think I saw that one. I don't. I remember. It, I remember it, but I don't. It remember had a Jet
0: Li. It.
1: Yeah, I knew it was either had to be Jet Li or Chow Yun Fat or one of the two. And um,
0: in then, in yeah, it wasn't that great. It wasn't that great. Um, and then he did a couple other big movies around this time. Um, and then, yeah, and, and then his career kind of took a b- downhill turn. Did
1: he just like take a
0: break and just like quit acting?
1: Like I'm not sure what the whole story is. Um,
0: I don't know the whole story. There was. I guess one of the th- conspiracy theories is he was blacklisted by Hollywood oh. for a, a time because of, uh, I know he, he, uh, accused somebody in the Hollywood foreign press association of sexually assaulting him. Really? Yeah. And, uh, I, that's why, uh, for the whale, which just came out what, last year. Yeah. Um, I think it got nominated or he got nominated think, for a Golden Globe. Yeah. And he didn't go because that's the Hollywood Foreign Press. Oh, and he was like I'm not going to okay. I'm not going to have anything to do with him. But I yeah, I think there was some there was like some behind the scenes politics where gotcha. his star kind of faded for a number of years. Yeah. He was still doing stuff like real low key for he did some TV and but yeah, he he had he's kind of having a comeback now. Yes. As of this recording with the Whale and Killers uh, of the Flower yeah, Moon. Yeah, that's coming out. Yeah, uh, and there was like one or two other big movies he was just in, I think.
1: We need another mummy movie, Brendan, yeah. if you're listening. Yeah. So you got your yeah. stroke now in Hollywood. <laughs> you got your stroke back, so we need another. He's, mummy he's got
0: the. He's got the people behind him with the <laughs> mummies. Exactly. He's got the critics behind him now in Hollywood.
1: <laughs> that's right. We're all celebrating you, yeah. and if you're listening, let us know. <laughs> we we want to know what happened to you during that that blackout time or whatever yeah. blackout phase. So, yeah, that was awesome. Um, I got some notes. Uh, I watched this film three times for this podcast. I really did. Um, I watched it first just straight through because I hadn't seen it in, like, 25 years or something like that. And then I watched it again to take notes on. And then I watched – so the version I have, there's, like, four different director's commentaries. But there's, like – well, not director's commentaries. There's four different commentaries. One is with Brendan Fraser. One is with Steven Sumner. One is, like, the screenwriter, I think. And then one is, like – I started watching it, but then like I just turned it off because I wanted to just watch the movie again. <laughs> so like I, I watched the one with Stephen Sommers. Well, that probably give you the most insight of how the film was made. And I didn't really, you know, get much out of it than what you had already told us. I mean, not much more is what I'm trying to say than what you already told us. So I ended up just turning it off and letting my kids watch it. Um, this is a, a pretty family friendly film for the most part. Um, there is actually, um, I think, Blockbuster put out its very own. Um, Cut of the film that is family friendly. Um, if you want to find that, I believe it's the mummy, and it has like a blue, the old blockbuster blue, like stripe across the top. Uh-huh. I don't think it's, I don't think it is block like cut by blockbuster, but I think it was cut for blockbuster, oh, hence yeah. the blue stripe. So, um, is this
0: a, is this the original PG thirteen?
1: It's PG thirteen, yeah. Okay. So they cut like a lot of the, um, I guess language and some of the more intense, frightening scenes. Right. And I believe, well, also, I think Tutankhamen is just (laughs) in my hotel is cursing my mic here. It just fell over for no reason. Um, but I also think that they digitally put on like a bikini on to, um, at the very beginning, like she's in some pretty scantily oh yeah clad clothing. I think they digitally, um, like put in some clothes on her just to like, you know, anyway, I don't know. But, um, yeah, so like I said earlier, like this is you know this film is very much a product of its time. Um, the opening scene of ancient Egypt, which is cool, but it does look just like a straight video game. Like the characters all walk with that video game you know, right. <laughs> aesthetic. And but I thought the um, Imhotep's backstory, which is told at the beginning of this film, is very similar to the 1932 Mummy, which is one of those things that um, after watching the Mummy the first time it really like keyed my interest to go back and watch the 32 version. And, um, I guess too, you know, kind of along the same lines, you know, Hollywood, they did, I want to say they did Dracula first and then Frankenstein. And then the mummy was the trilogy, I guess. And same thing sort of happened in Hollywood because you also had the other monster movies come out during this time frame as well. I think it was like a five year period. You have Francis Ford Coppola's, um, Brom Stoker's Dracula mm-hmm. with Gary Oldham. And then you have um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with De Niro. And then you had this one. Um, but this one is completely you know, different than those two. Because what you said is this is more of like an action-adventure film. But um, the backstory that they tell at the beginning of this is very similar to the backstory that is told in The 32 Mummy, which is like the big reveal at the end of him sort of falling in love. And um, you know, his so the story is is like he, he's in love with his mistress and they can't be together. She dies because they're caught together, they kill her, and he like goes to this tomb to to get this scroll. He's like dabbling in the black arts, he's gonna bring her back to life. Um, you know, raise her from the dead, which is like evil sorcery, and they catch him in the middle of it. They mummify him alive and then, you know, thus they place a curse on him for like 3,000 years or something like that. And um, I thought the Imhotep character, you know, in the first one is a lot more sympathetic because it is more of a love story. It's almost like a retelling of uh, Dracula, kind of, you know. But this one, Imhotep he's not quite as sympathetic like he's just like an angry badass like you know i'm bringing the 10 plagues of egypt with me which is another kind of cool concept i thought like wherever he shows up like one of the plagues happens like the first time they raise him from the dead like the grasshoppers like swarm Mm -hmm. over him which is really cool because they're all like huddled together and they're just like covered in grasshoppers and i'm just like oh my god that's got to be so frightening um, and then, like, the fire from the sky, and you have, like, the boils, and the, oh, they're in the bar drinking, and, like, pff, they spit it out because it all turns to blood. And Anyway, so that's pretty cool. Um, I thought that was really neat. Um, but I also respect the fact that in this film, they're speaking the Coptic um, language, which is, like, a form of ancient Egyptian. Um, because we're dumb Americans, they could have literally easily just done Arabic, mm-hmm. and we would not have known the difference. But they actually did the research on it, and they're actually speaking... I mean, the original language that they spoke obviously is a dead language, um, but they went back as far as they possibly could and found ancient Egypt, which is Coptic, you know, closest that they could come, and um, spoke that. So all the words that Imhotep speaks is, is you know ancient Egyptian, and also a lot of the hieroglyphics used as well. You know, it's like with those things, like Lord of the Rings, all those tiny little details mm-hmm. that nobody is going to notice or care about. Um, but those were like actual, you know, they, they hired somebody like an Egyptologist or whatever to go yeah. back and like they wanted to use like actual Real, you know, Egyptian hieroglyphics um, for like the books and the walls and all the stuff. So thought that was pretty cool, too Um And I put on here if you thought the fire ants in Indy was ridiculous <laughs> that you haven't seen the scare beetles in the mummy um, They're they're used a lot so they wanted to get the lot of use out of that yeah. that model I guess Good. They show up like four times. Like the first time they're dumped in Imhotep's um, sarcophagus as they're buried him alive. And then they show up like where he's like um, the warden is like take, like scraping him off the walls. John Hanna's character also gets one in his skin. <laughs> they unleash them from a, like, a, like a tomb. And there's like that's where it's like the Indiana Jones, you know, um, red ant scene. They're just like swarming and like going all over the place. So, like I said, I thought that was kind of funny. And another gag that they kept going back to, too, I don't know if it was just, like, a 20s thing, but, like, striking the match on each other's faces. <laughs> like, I don't know why. I, like, cattle They did it, like, five times in this movie. And I wasn't sure if it's, like, for comedic effect because, like, Brendan Fraser's always, like, striking a match off one of the dude's faces. And then at the very end where he's going to light this stick of dynamite, he, like, looks around. There's, like, nobody to strike the match off on his face. And so he, like, strikes it off on his own face. Which I thought was pretty clever too. Like I don't know, just like little things like that. Like I don't know, I just thought you don't see that in movies anymore. That was pretty cool. Um, French Foreign Le- Fre- oh sorry, French Foreign Legion. Um, the opening is like they are like fighting the Arabs. I don't know my history um, as well as you probably do. Did the French Foreign Legion have any type of like interest in or presence in Egypt in 1933, or is that just because the script needed them to be there and that's kind of know. why they were here?
0: I mean, I know uh, the British. It was like a British colony or whatever for a while. Yeah. So I don't know if they were fighting the French or I don't. Yeah, I don't know what was going on. Yeah, I don't,
1: but I thought it was a pretty clever way to open the film. They were not yeah.
0: Americans.
1: It, it was you know it was foreigners, but it wasn't Americans.
0: Yeah, there were there were uh, white people mixed up. Yeah. Down there during that time for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I was well. Obviously, even too with like the. Tutankhamun discovery too, yeah. which I think was it was an English man wasn't yeah. it that that discovered that. Yeah. So I thought it was a pretty clever way of opening the film where they're pushed like they're being pushed back by the Arabs and they go back into that you know uh, Humanoptera, um city of the dead I guess. So that was probably kind of cool. Um, anyway, so that was a really clever way to open the film. Um, what else do I have here? Uh, the opening shootout scene is awesome. Um, they're so like I miss the days of like character building with through dialogue like you learn so much about these characters through just the action and dialogue like i think that's something that people forget in modern filmmaking it's like we don't have time for that we just got to get to the good shit and so like it's kind of a slow build like all of like the character development that that was here um like the real suave confidence of rick o'connell which i love that name that's only like a movie name you know (laughs) it's like so effing cool um and he's like kind of like you know the sheer luck you know uh, and you have like the weaselness of like the Benny character who for the ha- first half of the film is like the protagonist and then you also have um like the you know his band that he's leading into the same city the of the Americans you know they're also kind of portrayed as the protagonist because Mahotep doesn't even show up until an hour into the film and then he becomes the main characters which are main protagonists which I kind of thought again was kind of neat you have, you have this whole time thinking that these two, you know, camps are going to, you know, squamish through the whole film mm-hmm. over these, you know, treasures. But then they kind of end up working together, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, I always kind of cool thought it was cool to the introduction to Rachel Wise's character. Um, I couldn't help but notice that she does look so strikingly similar to uh, Zita Johan, who um, played the same character, only her name was Helen Grobsner and the 32 version they look oh, yeah. so much alike like it's <laughs> kind of creepy you know um so i did notice that um and i also like to you know with it like talking about character building we learn in the first three minutes of her being on screen like what her job in this movie is going to be she's not there just to be a damsel in distress she's not there to just look pretty and be rescued she actually has meaning and like a presence Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we learn, like I said, you know, three minutes in that she is, um, she can read, write and speak ancient Egyptian. Um, she can also read hieroglyphics. Um, so she has something to contribute to the band and not just somebody that's in the way, like a lot of, you know, heroines are. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, John Hanna, I, it was so crazy when he comes on the screen, I was like,
0: who the fuck <laughs> is that guy? Like, and he even says
1: he's like, like when they're going to you know get Brandon Fraser out of jail, he's like because he pit he pickpocketed him and then Brandon Fraser got him, got a fight with him and they put him in jail. Anyway, the warden goes, "You look familiar. Do I know you?" And it was kind of funny because I'm thinking the same thing in my brain. I'm like, "Who is that guy? Like, I know who he is." And then once he kind of started speaking, I was like,
0: "Ah, it's
1: fucking <laughs> from, from Spartacus." And then it just made me want to watch Spartacus. I was just like, "Oh my god!" And like that, also, rush of nostalgia came back to me. Um, all of the fantastic lines that he had in yeah. Spartacus. He is a great actor. Like I really have a lot of respect for him because um, he can play both the Weasley, you know, impish, you know, scoundrel type character um, of um, John. Uh, I can't remember what his name is in this film. His name was John in the film, um, or Jonathan. But then he can also play, like, the real smarmy, you know, high priestess (laughs) of Batianas in Spartacus. (laughs) I thought it was pretty awesome. Um, I also like kind of like the foreshadowing. So they go to, like, the um, librarian, and he's reading the map, and he accidentally burns, and he's like, oops. Which I was just like, that's weird. Like, why would he not be more upset with him burning the map? But then it's kind of foreshadowed that he's part of the magi. Which also questions, like, well, why didn't he just say that from the beginning? Like, why did he have to send them to, to find the city if he didn't want the tomb opened in the first place? You know, right. He already knew. So I thought that was kind of cool, too. Little little touches like that I thought was awesome. Um, we did talk about the uh, – there was a rumor that Brendan Fraser was actually hung on that scene where he's at the prison. That the contraption that you know was supposed to catch him didn't, and it literally hung him. I don't know how – accurate this is but somebody had written that he needed cpr to be revived on the set kind of like um michael j fox was actually hung in oh, yeah. um, back to the future 3. <laughs> like when you see him on screen like he's actually being hung um so that was pretty cool um o'connell drops a line about traveling to um Hamanu- Hamanu- i can't ever pronounce that name Humanop- uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> humanoptera Humanoptra. um but he goes we went there before and the only thing that we found was blood and sand and that was, like, Spartacus, because that was also Spartacus. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God. Like, all right. But, of course, this is way before Spartacus came out. I love the ship scene, too, like, where they're on the boat, and the Magi show up to kind of stop, try to stop the expedition. Um, this kind of cool. There's, like, a scuffle in one of the quarters between the Magi and um, Helen. She's, like, got this little key thing, and she's, like, got it sitting on this dresser, and this guy guy comes up behind her, and she, like, you know headbutts him. Da, da, da. And then she, like, puts a candle in his face, and burns his eyeballs and then like the candle falls over and lights the whole place on fire and um, then Brendan Fraser well I guess too I guess I should say too Steven Summers must be a huge fan of Hong Kong action films because everybody in this fucking movie is shooting two guns at the same time (laughs) and there's like no reloading they're like revolvers like six shot barrel revolvers but they shoot like 59 times each (laughs) so like they all come busting in and just like double, like, Chow Yun-Fat and the killer, you know, like, just, boom, 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 then boo. they knocked the, the little um, nightstand over that the little metal gold key was on. And there's, like, fire all around it. And then, like, the Magi guy sees that. So you think, like, he there's, like, that scene where he's going to, like, have, like, the Indiana Jones moment where he, right. like, reaches for, like, the headpiece of the staff of Raw and, it, like, burns into his hand. But as soon as he reaches for it to grab it, like, John Hanna's character, like, opens the door and like bumps into him and he like falls head first into like the flaming couch and he like, <laughs> his whole body just immediately ignites. So like, that was kind of cool. But then like John Hannah's like, Oh yeah, the key. But he like picks it up and doesn't get burned at all. So I was just like, okay, well that was kind of like a, uh, I guess like a, I don't know what I'm trying to say like, try to trick me, I guess. Yeah. Um, red herring, I should say. Uh, what else do I got? I got a lot of stuff in here. This was like I said, there's a lot to unpack in this. Um, Oh, also in that ship scene, too, it's always fun to see horses on a boat running on a on the poop deck. <laughs> like, you don't see that too often. Yeah. And, like, jumping off the sides. So I was like, whoa, that's, like, crazy. That's kind of cool. Um, let's see. Uh, there's also a, on the same ship scene, there's, like, a funny little, like, stab at Americans. So, like, there's, like, an American group that's also going to Hamanuptra to, like, look for treasure. But it's being led by Benny the guy from the beginning of the film that kind of was also there when Rick O'Connell was there. And um, they're like in the shootout with the Magi. And of course, there's like six of them. They're all like wearing like cowboy hats and like, or fedoras, like Indiana Jones. They each have like the double fisted, like the double guns. Mm -hmm. So there's like 12 guns all shooting and they're all like going, woo, yeah! And they're just like blasting, like just, you know, aimlessly just shooting. And John Hanna, like, walks out, and he, like, sees it, and he goes, Americans. <laughs> so I was just like, like, Americans love of, like, guns and, like, explosions. Of course, I thought it was kind of funny, too. I couldn't help but kind of giggle at that. Um, what else is there? There's just so much. Like, I don't know. Um, oh, gosh, I'm looking through my... Uh, yeah, so the, I already kind of mentioned this about how it's kind of set up that Benny and the Americans are going to be the bad guys. But then you also have the Magi that are also, like, could possibly be the Magi or the bad guys and you don't really know until about halfway through that they're all going to work together which I thought was kind of neat. Um, well, I already said that about how many times they got the use out of the scarab beetles because I yeah. was like waiting, like There's, there they are again. Boom, there they are again. <laughs> uh, but we also get the reveal too that Evelyn is half Egyptian um, so it kind of lays the groundwork too of why she, only uh, Emma Hotep needs her. And also because she's the one that reads the script out loud that kind of brings him to life. So he has to have her soul to kind of reincarnate his lost love. And again, it's just those things that when screenwriters were screenwriters and they wrote these things because they made sense (laughs) and they needed to make sense and not just because like, oh, she's hot, like we just need her body or like whatever, you know what I mean? Like they wrote specific things because audiences needed to know that stuff. Not now it is today, like – I don't know. Like, I walk out of a film sometimes and I'm just like, what the fuck did I just watch? Like, I can't, I couldn't tell you anything. I couldn't tell you one thing about it that I can remember about it. And that's why, like, I think movies like this still resonate today because, like, I was thinking on the drive over here, you know, this movie is like, you know, almost 25 years old and we're still talking about it and it's still good and it still holds up. What movies are being made today that we're going to talk about 25 years from now? you know what I mean like I, I can't think of something that has resonated with me even like this didn't resonate with me at the time other than it being a fun film but when you go back and look at it you're just like yeah man like that was like when movies were movies and like things had to happen in order to make to like connect all the dots um, you know when writers and I, I still write like that too you know I write when I write a script or something I'm so precise like everything has to connect <laughs> you know and like I send a treatment in or something we'll go, I like that but you really go into details about stuff <laughs> like, well you're kinda of supposed to, right? Like, you know? It's not like the TikTok editing that right. we have today, you know, where like things are only done in like thirty seconds at a time. I don't know. Like I just really get a kick out of um stuff like that. I don't know. Uh oh my gosh, man. Well, what else do I got here? Um striking the deal yeah I got about that. Oh yeah. Although it's probably funny too with um so after they kind of resurrect, um, uh, Emma I like it too, because like he has to be regenerated. And so like in the original mummy, it flash forwards like 10 years. So you don't get any of the regeneration process, but here it actually takes the time to explain, like, you know, he just doesn't like come out of, you know, the tomb, like, <laughs> like a Greek God, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like he has to be regenerated. He has to like get things, you know, that were taken from him. So he has to, like, get the guy's eyes and he has to get the guy's tongue. And then because, you know, the guy was there when he was – again, this is all about making sense. Like, the movie makes sense. He was in the presence of him when he was resurrected, that he can only take things from those people. So he, like, takes the guy's tongue. He takes the guy's um, um, eyes. And then like, that's all he gets because he's also, they're also scared of cats, which is another thing I was like, I'm not too like big on my Egyptology, uh-huh. but there's that scene like where he goes to Burns his name is Mr. Burns, which I thought was kind of funny too. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But, um, he's going to get the rest of his organs. He's like, you know, I need the rest of your organs basically. And he's like, um, you know, what, what, what are you talking about? And he like touches his hand. he like sucks him dry. He just looks like a piece of like a slim Jim, you know, sitting there and then, like he looks over and like this cat jumps down he goes roar like that and he like disintegrates into dust and he like you know Tasmanian devils out the window <laughs> but i didn't know like um but again it's explained i was like okay like why is the cat why did he do that at the cat well it's because the cats were like the watchers of the underworld and that you know he will only be afraid of cats until he's regenerated fully or something like that so again like all these little things that they put in this film make sense You have all these questions, but all the questions are answered, Mm -hmm. you know? So I don't know. I just really appreciate screenwriting like that. And I'm probably going way too long with this, but like, I don't know. Like it's just a process. And I think it's a lost art screenwriting. People now just pump shit out and they don't think about it. Like it all makes sense to me because I wrote it. Mm -hmm. But as an audience, sometimes that stuff gets lost.
0: You know, I don't know. Uh, It's also kind of neat. Like if they had made this movie, you know, Post-1999, like in the 2000s or nowadays, I feel like the mummy character would be some super ripped, handsome dude. Yeah. Or they'd like make him some really gross looking monster. Yeah. But this, like Imhotep in this, his final form is kind of like just a regular looking guy. Yeah. Almost. Not Billy Zane. Because I yeah. got to think of it, like, That's Billy Zane. <laughs> yeah. Like,
1: shit, that's not Billy Zane. But damn, it sure looks like Billy Zane. Like, he's
0: not super jacked and handsome, but he's yeah. not this gross demon. He's right, right. kind of a normal looking guy, almost.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, well, I'm going to, I mean, I have more notes, but I know this is kind of going a little bit long. But, like, I just, like I said, like, just, it's such a fun movie. They're swashbuckling. Like, you don't see swashbuckling in movies nowadays, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he's fighting the skeletons, like Jason and the Argonauts. I thought that was awesome. I love the fact, too, that, like, you know, when she finally does destroy, I'm going to put it in quotes, Imhotep, like, you know, he she reads the epitaph from the book, and this, like, the spirit on the chariot, like, comes and takes him away. And then, like, um, Brendan Fraser's like, I thought you were sp- this was supposed to kill him. And she goes, it did. And he goes, What? it made him mortal. And then he like stabs him through the stomach, like through the sword. So it's just like, that's like, it would make sense. you know, like, you wouldn't <laughs> just read the epitaph, and he just like disintegrates into space. You know what I mean? Or just like right. carried off. Like his spirit or his you know, immortality was, was carried off. And now it makes him a mortal man. It's just so cool. Like, I don't know, like everything in this film made sense to me. Like I just, like I watched it three times and I was not bored, you know, at all. And even I let my kids watch a little bit of it. I mean, they're, You know, three and four, they're not going to sit and watch, you know, a a movie like this. You know, it's like a two hour movie, but it doesn't feel like two hours. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, I don't know. I just, like I said, this is a fun film. This is one that you can show your kids. You know what I mean? Like, I have the PG 13 version. It's not really that bad. There's like a couple of bastards in hell and it. I think that's about it. I think most of it's just because of maybe a a little bit of, I'm not even going to say nudity at the beginning of it, but she's scantily clad. And then. There's some intense scenes, but other than that, like, it's such a fun film. Fun mm-hmm. film, so.
0: Yeah, if you haven't seen it and you see it and you like it, uh, watch The Mummy Returns because uh, it kind of unusual for action films the the sequel, like, actually builds on the story and the mythology of the first one. Yeah. They, they go into a lot more of, like, the backstory and the ancient stuff. Right, so.
1: right. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not like a huge Egyptologist. I mean, I do, I've studied it a little bit just because the nature of my job, because I teach art and I do a little lesson usually on ancient Egypt, but it's certainly piqued my interest in wanting to learn more. You know what I mean? So speaking of learning more, I want to, you know, we here at Pump Action are very interested in, um, all facets of, of, you know, um, you know, improving our bodies and and I'm going to hit you with a little fact. Okay. Did you know? that we can credit the ancient Egyptians for creating the very first form of weight Nice. yes they used in ancient Egypt lifting weights was, was an equally popular practice uh, hold on a second it yeah. says Egypt um, a little different than China um, because they did lots of calisthenics and martial arts um, they shared set, similar similarities with China when it came to physical culture Uh, Wilson Chaco Jacobs' study of Egyptian physical culture in the late 19th century and early 20th century highlighted the fact that weightlifting was, in fact, um, prevalent in in ancient Egypt. And it dates back thousands of years um, and encompassed both gymnastics and heavy lifting. Before the ancient Greeks, because you would always think that the Greeks would invent weightlifting. Oh, no, 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 no. It was the Egyptians. Um, and in fact, Egyptian athletes were known to um, lift heavy sacks of sand over their head, and they would have competitions with raising the, the sacks of sand over their head for like extended periods of time. Basically, who can hold it up the longest? And uh, thus invented the um, the clean and the clean and jerk or the mm-hmm. snatch. Yeah. So they invented that that, that uh, weightlifting technique. So you're welcome, <laughs> uh, you know, all you weightlifters out there. They had to get so. those blocks on the pyramid somehow that's right you think they were put there by aliens yeah. no it's a bunch
0: of fucking jacked egyptians
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, stacking bunch, those stones a bunch of gym
0: bros <laughs> yeah
1: a bunch of gym rats that's right all dusty and sandy yeah so uh, do you have a top 10 list i was gonna ask you because i have some go go for it okay well i actually have the brendan fraser workout now um if you have not Um, Seen The Mummy. He's probably not in the best shape. We don't really know what kind of shape he was in because he's in khakis the whole time. Um, But before this movie, he was in a movie called George of the Jungle, Mm -hmm. and he was taut in that film. (laughs) Sinewy. (laughs) Sinewy. Oh, he was hot. Uh, And uh, I'm going to tell you his workout for um, George of the Jungle uh, first of all, we're gonna start with his diet. Um, his diet plan was um, high protein, no carbs. This is ninety what seven, I believe before keto, he was eating a keto style diet. There was actually a funny story that I remember him telling about like his diet for Georgia the Jungle because he was not eating any carbs. When I say zero carbs, like he was on just like meat and salt and water and that was it. He said that, like, he couldn't – his brain was, like – he couldn't put two and two together. And he said that he was, like, at an ATM machine and he couldn't remember his pen. And he just, like, flipped out and just started, like, beating the shit out of the ATM machine because (laughs) – but that was, like, you know – I think that was probably the height of his, you know – what is it, the uh, Rat Pack uh, or Brat Pack era. Mm -hmm. But anyway, here's his workout. Um, Monday, Tuesday – or Monday, he was doing chest day and hiking. Um, Tuesday, he did arm day and swimming. Wednesday was back day and parkour, which I you know, um, I don't know I never even thought about parkour being as, as a cardio activity. Thursday was shoulder day and he also did a little bit of mixed martial arts, which I don't think they call it mixed martial arts back then. I think it was just martial arts. <laughs> um, and he did leg day on Friday um, and then he also did some running. Um, cardio was on Saturday and then he rested, no weight lifting. Um, he tried to do at least 10,000 steps, and then Sunday he also did more 10,000 steps. Um, I actually have his workout. It's actually a pretty solid workout. Um, his chest, he did uh, bench press. Um, he, he does the old um, 15, 12, 10, um, mm-hmm. 8 reps. He does um, incline, dumbbell press. Uh, where am I at here? Sorry about that. He also did um, the fly machine, three sets of 10. He did the hex press. Uh, three sets of 10. He did weighted dips, and he does incline cable flies. And then for cardio, he did the hiking. Um, this is whether this is in the morning or at night, it's always time to get out there and hike. And that is a quote <laughs> from Brendan Fraser. Uh, it says, start slow, but work your way up to three miles of hiking if you really want to get in Georgia the jungle shape. Yeah. And that is a quote, my friends, from, um, from Brendan Fraser himself. Um, He also does the arm workout. Um, He did uh, preacher curls, uh, skull crushers. He did alternating seated or alternating dumbbell curls. Um, He did overhead tricep extensions with dumbbells, um, hammer curls, cable kickbacks. And then he says he swam on those days as Mm -hmm. well. His back workout, he did deadlifts. And again, it's the old 15, 12, 10, or 15, 12, 8, 10, 8, sorry. Uh, he did wide grip lateral pull downs, some chin ups, um, single arm hammer strength rows, some shrugs to work those traps. Uh, he also did straight arm cable pull downs, and then he did parkour, which I would like to see Brendan Fraser out there doing some, you know, um, high intensity
0: uh,
1: playgrounding.
0: Makes sense for Tarzan.
1: Yeah, it, it, it kind of does. Uh, shoulders, he did overhead press, he did dumbbell f- shoulder flies. Some uh, light seated dumbbell front raises just to get that burn. Uh, Single arm dumbbell snatches, um, barbell hang cleans, and he did some kettlebell swings as well. Um, Leg day uh, was back squats. He did leg press, some seated calf raises, uh, straight leg deadlift. Um, Some of us call that the Romanian deadlift. Uh, Hamstring curls. He did leg extensions, and then he did some running. And then, like I said, he did 10,000 steps, whether it was running and walking on the weekends. So, if you are interested in getting into uh, your George of the Jungle shape, uh, there you go. So, the Brendan Fraser workout. Good. And looks like you've been doing the Jeremy Renner workout, by the <laughs> way. It does smell a little bit like smoke in here. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, but yeah, I think that's pretty much all I have for The Mummy. I, I can really talk about this longer, but I think we're almost at an hour, and this is probably one of the longest ones that we've done. But like I said, this was a lot of fun, and I do have a present for you. Um, oh boy, more yeah. presents. More presents. I, I, I know you're down a little down in the dumps. Um, <laughs> well, the, the abysmal downloads of Time Barbarians and Time, I know it was kind of pressing <laughs> on you. We didn't get the numbers that we normally get on those ep- on that episode, but it's going to get better, I promise. So in order to cheer you up, I figure I bring you something that you just you desperately needed to add to your uh, pantheon of um, you know heavy metal '80s heroes. I have for you the Frank Stallone figure. <laughs> this is an actual Frank Stallone figure. No. I, yes. <laughs> From. Jacks I Jax, believe. Jack um, Pacific. Jack Pacific. I think they did a line of Rocky Four or Rocky figures. Yeah. And for some reason, as I don't remember Frank Stallone being in the Rockies, other than I think he was one of the trash can singers, the Take Me Back singers. That's all I can remember him being. Yeah. But I don't know if that's the character. But there you go, and you can add him now to your other Stallone brother. What does that say? So
0: Philly high. <laughs> See what he looks like under here. Is he ripped? Is he ripped?
1: That's pretty jacked. He's pretty jacked, yeah, He's got that that gray, that tight gray shirt on. Yeah.
0: Let's put him over there with the uh, the Bruce Lee. The now Bruce we got Lee. two podcast mascots. Yeah,
1: that's right. Look at the face okay. and the hair on that guy. <laughs> like I, I think it was maga hat, um, not included because I looked for the maga hat, unfortunately, <laughs> but didn't, he didn't come with it. But anyway, so yeah, so
0: hopefully that'll cheer you up. And, yeah, thanks. And, uh, yeah. You got a little pantheon going over there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but I knew you had the the Rambo. Oh yeah, What's somewhere, and I definitely think you needed to add in an- the real <laughs> the real Stallone brother, <laughs> the real moneymaker in the family, yeah. Frank. So anyway, but yeah, so I guess that's gonna wrap it up for the mummy. Um, do you want to do another Halloween one? Because this is kind of fun. Um, we we talked about maybe the crow uh, doing Brandon Lee, the crow. Yeah, we can do another one. Yeah. So, um, maybe in a couple of weeks we'll have another one out. If not, then, um, we've got lots, I've got a bunch like that we've recorded that I haven't released yet. So I'm working on it and there's more time bandits and talk. Ti- I keep saying time bandits, <laughs> time barbarians in time. Um, I keep saying time bandits, but I'm built like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Randall. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, so we've got more coming out. Um, check us out, uh, for any kind of news and updates and, and special releases uh, via our Instagram page. We are over at Pump Action underscore podcast. Um, I also do Scoded underscore cinema. Uh, yeah, so you can find us there. Drop some uh, ideas. Somebody wanted us to be Predator. Um, I feel Predator is a perfect quality or action film. But I also feel that Predator has been done to death. <laughs> so I was trying to pick something that hasn't been done to death. Fresh take, so to speak. But um, yeah, keep them coming. I I got I got that suggestion and maybe Predator was definitely one I will do down the
0: line.
1: Um, um, Let me try to focus on the films. We all know who's going to Do you have anything else that you want
0: to add? I don't think so.
1: Um, Alright, well for Ty Fiver,
0: we will check you later. Happy Halloween. Because
1: when the world is over